0: Have we reached the point with generative artificial intelligence where we're about to hit that proverbial trough of disillusionment, or are we just at a plateau and there's more greatness with this technology to come? Next up on this episode of Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Joining me to discuss all things AI are Mike Mason. He is the chief AI officer at ThoughtWorks, a global technology consultancy, and Nicholas Mattei, an assistant professor of computer science at Tulane University. Uh, they've both been on the show before. So welcome back to the show, Mike and Nick. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Keith. All right, so let's just jump right into it. Like, why do I think that we might have hit peak AI in in terms of this um, headed for that trough of disillusionment? There's been a lot of stories recently uh, that have come out in terms of a backlash against some of the things that OpenAI is doing, uh, ChatGPT, for example, they've you know the traffic has now slipped for the third month in a row. Uh, companies are 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 finding out that all the investments they've got in AI, at some point, they need to have an ROI around that, and, and some of the the buzz is starting to fade. Uh, especially then, also with new stories of uh, potential hacking, uh, people you know hackers using generative AI, things like that. So are you seeing that in your, uh, arenas as well? Like Mike from the consultancy side, are you seeing this potential backlash or potential trough of disillusionment? And then Nick from the academic side, are you seeing that as well? So Mike, why don't we start with you?
1: Well, I think given the sheer amount of hype involved in this topic, like we we're clearly headed for some kind of peak of, of hype cycle. Um, and naturally there is, there is always a trough disillusionment after that. So I think that is definitely coming. I think the question is how, how soon does it hit us? And does it, uh, slow everything back down? Are we going to get another AI winter? I think probably not mm-hmm. because there is more guts to this technology than there have been to previous things that have been in the hype cycle. I think something that's really important for everybody to be looking at is. Uh, what am I getting for my investment? Can I do something where I'm experimenting responsibly? I'm not spending a ton of money. I'm just, you know, I'm dipping my toe in the water, uh, because everything is moving so so fast in this area. There's there's news stories every single day about some new breakthrough or some new scary thing. I was reading about um, brain scanning uh, was was the latest thing that they they trained an AI. To use some kind of MRI scanning to reconstruct images that um, a subject, a test subject, was uh, viewing. So you know they're looking at a picture of a cat because it's obviously you know cat dog is the usual AI yeah. trick. Um, and uh, and and you know what the, the the researchers said, yeah, but it's okay. We think that you know general mind reading is five to ten years away. <laughs> what? That's.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Uh, see, I, I, I saw the story about about how AI was being used to help um, uh, like paralyzed uh, patients with their. You know, you hooked something up to their brain, and then they, they were able to scan some stuff in. So, I you know that was helpful because they were allowed to speak. But but you know, hooking up something to my brain and then having it um, uh, draw a picture of a cat or a dog that's kind of frightening.
2: I I mean the uh I thought I thought Elon was trying to sell us that for a little while right these like neural interfaces but that's I mean that's hardware and that's that's oh my so gosh, far off. Yeah. um that's very sci-fi I think I think we're hopefully we're a little uh you know we're not quite there yet um on the on the academic side I think we're still seeing a lot of, of popularity at least in terms of students coming to work on these topics I think there's still a lot of opportunity um you mentioned kind of like the fall of like folks going to the chat you know the chat GPT website at the front end yeah but I would I'm not sure I haven't looked at the financials but I imagine this is probably just as much about folks building things out of the API in the back end right so I think you're still seeing you know folks less engaging with chat GPT as a chat product oh, okay. which I think always uh-huh. in my in my personal opinion always had kind of a limited life lifespan. Like I can only ask it to do my homework and like write my wedding vows so many times, right? But if it's embedded within, you know, the word, if it's embedded within GitHub or Copilot or any of these tools that we're using, you know, I think you're going to see, you still see the opportunity for growth there. And I think um, at least on the research side, you're seeing a lot of folks do a lot of really fun things with like fine tuning with, um, you know, how do you use, how do you take some of these open models? Let's say the open model from uh, Meta or, you know, some of these 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 models that are ChatGPT-like and then train them for specific applications. I yeah. think that's where you're seeing a lot of the energy um, on, on the academic side right now. And I think there's still a lot of stuff to, to do there. Now, how do you turn it into money? I don't know if I knew that I wouldn't be in
0: academia, but you know, know, this also came, I think a lot of the hype cycle started with the release of GPT-3 and then right right at the end of that OpenAI then announced, oh, we've got GPT-4 as well. Uh, In the academic side, have you uh, experimented a lot with GPT-4 and maybe does it, does it need to be released to a broader audience, maybe to a public to, so that they can see that yes, there is still excitement around this, or is it the opposite where GPT came four came out and then I saw stories that they're saying it's dumber, you know that there's that there it, it's not as smart in math or it's not as smart in certain ways. What are they? What do you guys talk about in the in the academic circles?
2: Well, I mean, sort of what is going into the the chat product, so to speak, I would say is not. It's not like kind of the cutting edge of research, right? Like so the the T in Chat GPT, right, is a transformer architecture that's a paper from Google from like 2010. Okay. Right? So those so that you gotta remember, like the T in Chat GPT is the thing that's been predicting your text since 2010. So like this a lot of this technology has been you know, being worked on, you know, as as it goes. So like the chat GPT four is more of like a product. It's like, oh, does it like add things together? You know, like it's more on the product side. Whereas like sort of on the academic side, you know, you're looking at the research, you're saying, okay, how do we make like queries against the model cost less? How do we make it able to uh how do we make it safer in terms of, you know, not going and saying quite so so crazy things. How do we um you know keep coherence at longer and longer strings? Right. And so the question about like you know whether or not it's got, you know, because they they sort of with chat GP, with GPT four, I think I think they put a calculator into it, right? So they—it's not even like an AI piece. That's a calculator. It's actually yeah. just—it's just an AI interface to a regular calculator, okay. right? So, so at this point, especially in that product cycle, I think—and again, I'm not—I don't work for OpenAI. I don't know exactly what's going on in this. But my understanding is that they're—they're they're building a lot of functionality, and they're not sort of using LLMs. They're—they're they're sort of using the LLM as the interface to more traditional things like Python and like you know a, a calculator and things like that. So. Um, I think really what you're looking at of GPT- GPT-4 GPT- has more to do with how to make it a product than how to make it like in terms of like, is it getting better at the LLM thing? Okay. Like the word to word thing.
0: So, so Mike, are you hearing anything around GPT-4 on, on the positives or the negatives?
1: So I think rather than, certainly for me as someone looking to use this in business and, and commercially, mm-hmm. um, it, like i the, the question about is, is this thing intelligent? What, what direction is it going in? All of that kind of stuff. Those are all really interesting questions that like I pay attention to. <clears throat> but the real question is, is it useful? Right. Like what can I use it for? Can I get some value out of it? Um, I think the fact that LLMs are now being taught to use tools like, uh, I think chat GPT can use, uh, uh, Wolfram to calculate yeah. answers and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that's actually pointing to where these things are going to go in the future. Uh, and both Microsoft and Google have demoed uh, uh, agents within their office suites. So Office and, and or the Google Docs suite, where those agents can take actions within, say, your email or within your documents and all that kind of stuff, because those agents also know how to use those tools. Um, it's an actually on, useful a useful form of clippy, finally. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um and so like I think this agent thing where you can get an AI to do stuff on your behalf because you've given it a bunch of tools that's really interesting it's also I'm pretty sure kind of an area of very active research about how to make that safe and not dangerous and and you know keep the thing within the box that you've given it uh, I saw something yesterday where um uh, there's a, there's a, I think it's called local interpreter or something where you can run an AI on your own computer because then it doesn't have all the constraints that these online AIs have. Uh, but equally, it has none of the safety. Right. So I'm not going to download something and let it run random stuff on my machine. Like that sounds exactly like the definition of malware.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> imagine the, the training set that would be on my computer, for example, versus the, the the data training set, you know, out of the the rest of the Internet. I think that would be scary for whatever um, my local computer wants to come up with. Um, but, Mike, let me put you on the spot. Is, is, is it getting better? It, you know, is it useful? Is it more useful than it was when it came out? Or is it about the same level of usefulness?
1: I... I'd be hard pushed to tell you that on on ChatGPT because they don't tell you when they're deploying new versions. Right. think okay. like it's just a service, you get to use it. Are we finding more ways to make it useful? Absolutely. Like there are more and more contexts in which you can use an API on top of um, I'm just gonna say any old LLM, like like Chat GPT right. is the really popular one. Yeah. But there's a ton of open source ones or open in in some way, there's a whole Drama and uh, you know, question about what does open actually mean? Do you get the training data? You know, all that kind of thing. Um, but I think we're finding more and more ways to make them useful and and better ways to prompt them to to create structure in a conversation between you and an LLM so that you can more clearly kind of keep it uh, on the rails rather than going off in weird directions and, and and all that.
0: Yeah, Nick,
2: did you have some some stuff to add? Oh, no, I'm just going to say, I think I, I was going to make the point that Mike made. I think it's a really good one. It's like, you know, it's not just chat GPT. It's this underlying, when, when people say AI right now, they mean this underlying sort of generative AI technology, right. like generally speaking, these LLMs or these image generation techniques. Um, AI is a much bigger thing. I feel like as the AI professor, I have to say this, like it's it's a lot more different things, right? It's like a thing that, you know, routes you through traffic and all kinds of stuff that it does that that different AI tools do that you forget about. Um, I think really the question is, is like, how do we, how do we use these, these sort of text to text models, these LLMs um, to do interesting things? And I think Mike's hit the nail right on the head is like, as we use that as the interface to the various tools, um, we see new ways um, and new ways of interaction, right? So if you remember Siri, when Siri first came out, it wasn't very conversational. You know, it's getting better because it's using this as the back Um, We were working on a project with a, with a group here that was looking at um, the uh, city uh, city council meetings. Mm-hmm. And so using the LLMs to kind of summarize what's been going on in the city council meetings and providing these kind of conversational interfaces to folks that aren't going to sit there and read all the city council meetings. Now, there's some questions in that. You know the, the answers it gives, and it's not just ChatGPT; it's any LLM. Sound very city council speaky, you know? Like, it's yeah, like of course yeah. the city's doing good things, right? You know, um, <laughs> but like in terms of in terms of giving folks a tool, they can say, okay, well, how many times was you know were the potholes on my street mentioned at the last city council meeting, right? Like, they're able to go in there and and answer these kind of chat like questions about what the city council's talking about, right? So that was a project we did with the, with a group here in New Orleans. Um, you know, it's it's kind of just it's, it's that's the fun part of it, right? There's these neat ways to like use these things as interfaces um, and, and enable interfaces that we haven't enabled before. Do you um, have do you, that you, you guys, really, do you really do,
0: really you to do you guys have to monitor what's going on with? A bunch of the other uh, LLMs that come out, for example, and again, I'm just going to mix the word LLM with, with GPT and, and all of this this Gen AI stuff, like, you know, so Microsoft comes out with Bing, and that's integrated into their search engine, and then Google comes out with BARD, and then there's something called Claude, I think, as another one that came out, um, you yeah. know, as there's you start... Llama, s- don't llama. forget there's Llama, there's a whole menagerie, Keith. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a whole zoo. Um and so as, do you have to monitor that and say if one is better than the other? Because I think the average end user is going to be like, they all feel the same to me. And, and if if one doesn't work, then I just blanket the entire uh, LLM zoo as as horrible. Like, like, how do you what do you guys do? Nick, why don't you start? Um. For for me, you know, I, I'm kind of with
2: Mike here because on the academic side, I want to use like Llama, like some of these uh, the hugging face models that are that are open that I can retrain on my own. Like okay. I don't I use Chat GPT. Honestly I use ChatGPT in my personal life like I needed to to write a like write an email the other day that I didn't want to write so I asked <laughs> it you know I, asked, I actually use Bard because I'm an early Google user so yeah. I don't get blocked on it but you know like for the for the chat interface I'll use that but like in terms of research and like building you know trying to build projects around around these things I usually just use the open source ones because those are the ones that are easiest for me to use right and I don't have to pay API fees okay. um, and and a lot of times I'm more interested in that sort of thing um so I'd be curious to hear Mike's answer on this actually
1: <laughs> yeah how much how much of this do you have to monitor mike well, so basically, this is a lot similar to the question about what cloud platform would you use to build something for a client, right? Um, and if you know, I don't know, a decade ago, uh, we had kind of fairly strong opinions on which cloud platforms were doing better than others and how we build stuff on them. These days, though, everybody's actually already picked a cloud platform or two that they're already using, and so in a lot of ways, the answer is similar for for which. LLM, do you want to use? So if we've got a client who's already in the Google ecosystem and is using GCP as a platform, we're likely to go with uh, the Google tool suite, Vertex AI, all that kind of stuff. Um, if somebody's on Microsoft or AWS, we'll go with their options. Um <clears throat> We also keep a strong eye on the open stuff uh, because we do have clients who are saying, I don't want any of my data to go to a cloud provider. I'm concerned about the the security and privacy around that. Um, We've got one example um, of a client in India who is using um, an open source code completion engine and they're like hosting that locally uh using a b- you know bunch of GPUs to get it to run fast enough so that they don't have to have um their code completion fragments going anywhere now I, you know i think it's reasonable for someone to be concerned but that's the same kind of the same as saying i don't trust my cloud provider which certain companies still do make that choice today and they do have very stringent requirements, yeah. But you're starting to see more and more. The cloud providers are saying, "Hey, no, you can actually trust us. We've got this certification. You can, you know, you can put federal data on here in certain circumstances yeah, and all right. that kind of stuff." Right.
0: So you think Mike, that it's going to be a similar just, track? Yeah.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead,
2: Nick. Oh no, I was I was going to ask Mike about that because I wasn't. I haven't been in the consulting space for for quite some time. But that was I just did a piece on this, and it seems like at least for the cloud platforms, uh, for like you know. Um, uh, SageMaker and some of the sort of the sort of baseline non-generative AI tools, you know, there's a lot of regulate or not a regulation, but there's like these cloud platforms are like, yes, we're that we're FERPA certified and we're HIPAA certified. And like we we're certified to host all this data, but that seems to be a big thing with the, um, the LLMs is that like, you know, what you send to OpenAI isn't covered under those same frameworks now. So, so it seems like the cloud providers have gone at least for the data management side that way, but like for the LLMs, that doesn't seem to be as mature yet. So I just kind of, it was interesting, you know. Yeah, curious how you see that going forward.
1: Well, I, I think it's going to get better, and people are going to have more confidence in it. But I also think, um, because of the plethora of models we have, you can, you know, kind of choose your own adventure. So we have one client um, that does uh, resume to job matching uh, at scale, uh, and what we created for them was actually a, a hybrid system that's using OpenAI on Azure. For some uh, kind of unstructured data analysis, you know, textual data um, work, but then is using um, an open source LLM, which is self-hosted for some of the more confidential things like PII mm. retrieval from from resumes. And so we've coupled those two together to create something where the client is comfortable with the kind of the security posture of those two combined systems.
0: Okay. And, and, and Mike, I, that leads me to another question. With a lot of these companies that are now piloting programs and coming up with some of these initial uses of generative AI and, and large language models, um, are, are we getting to the point where they're evaluating it and, and then giving either the thumbs up or thumbs down on this? Or is there still a ways to go before they make a decision about, you know, oh, we have spent how much money on this? <laughs> like, where, where are the companies well, that you're I working think- with? It, without giving any clients away without giving any, you know, client information away. Cause of course all of your projects are awesome, but <laughs> you know, what, what are you seeing in terms of
1: most of the companies that you work with? So we see a range. We work with about 400 clients a year. So everything's every client is different. Yeah. Um, some of those clients, uh, have pretty deep use cases. So we've got some life sciences clients where we are looking at, um, what it would take to build a custom foundation model um to help them with say drug discovery or something like that. Um and that's very specific uh work. It's expensive to do. You need a lot of expertise and a lot of data to to train a model from scratch. But we're also seeing a lot of clients who are doing much smaller kind of proofs of concept, proofs of value. And actually I would say that's where the bulk of the world is today. Yeah. I think in, in you know, from my perspective is People are dipping their toe in the water. They're spending, you know, well, I don't want to quote numbers. They're, they're spending, you know, millions relatively and millions small amounts and of money. Billions well, of dollars. you know, it depends <laughs> on, you know, depends on that. But uh, they're spending, you know, relatively small amounts of money compared to like the, what the software industry attracts as a whole. Sure. Um, and they're, and they're really trying to say, can I get value out of this for my specific use case? So mm-hmm. you think of some stuff. I mean, every company I know, has a knowledge management problem, right? Like every employee has to know all about, you know, company policies or Mm -hmm. particular details of all the products that they sell. If they're in a support role, they've got to know all about all the stuff that can go wrong with with their system. And Gen AI is a really great way to surface that to those people to allow them to access all of that information. And so that's a really popular area for us helping clients to, to start getting bootstrapped but uh the, the the problem is it's a moving target as well because everybody's cloud platform is introducing new search tech yeah then that will then do that so if even if you implement something kind of largely custom tomorrow you know some new piece of technology might come along and kind of make that a little bit obsolete
2: well yeah it- are we still trying to solve this? Sorry. Go ahead. How go are we ahead. still trying to solve the same problem around surfacing like this knowledge work, right? Like this is the 1980s. This is expert systems in AI. This is where all the research was in the 80s and it didn't work that well. This was what big data was supposed to save this from us. You know, we're supposed to be able to put everything in these giant, you know, high velocity platforms and be able to surface it. Then search was gonna fix this for us. And that was what Google was all about. Isn't and now it, we're here again with LLMs because yeah, we, we early, all these
0: companies where we can't find anything. <laughs> early chatbots were like that too, in the customer service space, right? Yep.
2: Yep, yep. And I mean, they're still there, right? Like a lot of times you're still hitting these chatbots on the customer service space. Well, like, it um, always feels like
0: also that they went after a lot of companies went after the low hanging fruit of, okay, we're going to tell you about everything great that it, that it does. And you could start with A, B, and C. And so it feels like all of the companies are going after A, B, and C. And then if they get to D, E, and F, those are big, big problems. Like maybe uh, one or two years down the road. Um, I don't even know if, if, if companies are going to get past A, B, and C at this point.
2: I mean that's where I mean people are going. I like when I was still before I became an academic, I did work in consulting for a little while and <laughs> at a large company. And you know, you you see these things, right? Like, and you look at the chatbots, you look at the surfacing thing. Like, if you can just only get to A, B, and C, sometimes if you're a large enough company, the ROI on that is is very high. Um, and so, if you're answering hundreds of thousands of customer calls a day, and you can you can make it one second quicker, like that's a lot of money. Um, and that's I think where a lot of these these the you're going to see some of this AI really really surfaces and on on the back end and making a lot of these things. You know, easier to use, and I think that that's it's. You know, the 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 question you asked us at the top of the show is like, have we reached peak AI? Like, we might have reached like peak going to ChatGPT.com, mm-hmm. but I don't think we've reached peak. Like, where this is going to get integrated into the, the tools and processes that we use every day.
0: Well, I've I've got some more examples to give you where we can we can talk about that too. <laughs> um, but Mike, do you do you think that uh, companies might be Pulling the plug at some point, or is it still way too early? I've asked this to some other guests of when when do the bean counters start coming in and going, "Oh, uh, hello, where's my ROI on this this thousand dollar thousand million dollar project that we've uh, approved?" Um, <laughs> or is 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 the 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 promise of AI something that that is w- they're willing to wait for?
1: I think at the moment it's something where people feel. There is something to be achieved through this. Yeah. And they're willing to invest somewhat speculative dollars in in doing so. Um, I do think there are gonna be some high-profile failures. There are gonna be people who spend money on the on building something that was too ambitious and not getting the the value out of it. Right. Um, so I think there are gonna be some failures. I also think a lot of this comes down to the cost. Benefit equation and the cost of running these AI systems, especially generative AI is really, really unknown right at the moment. So Google and Microsoft both came out with $30 a month pricing for their um, AI features for Microsoft 365 and for the Google suite. Yep. Um, they don't actually know whether it's going to cost them 30 bucks a month to run this. Right? They've got no idea. They're, they're just picking a number. I mean, this is, I don't know for sure I'm not inside those companies, but yeah. my guess is that they're picking a number and they're saying, ah, oh, we think it's worth this. Now for a lot of companies, thirty dollars a month per user, if you save like one minute a day right you know, getting the AI to write you an email or help you analyze a spreadsheet or something like that, Then it's worth it. Mm -hmm. I can imagine like a lot of bean counters multiplying thirty by number of employees and saying, "I don't want to suddenly have you know you know tens of or hundreds of thousands of dollars of extra uh, bill for for this for this service." I think the other thing is the inference running the models. If you've got a custom model and you're you're running it and you're trying to get some kind of value from it, there are so many different options of how you actually run that thing. Do you run it on a cloud platform? Do you buy your own hardware? Do you um scale it down? So there's techniques like quantization that allow you to take a, a very high-fidelity model and produce a less-high-fidelity one that can still give you good answers but can run faster and, and cheaper. Uh Every day, well, not every day, but weekly, someone comes out with some new hardware. So NVIDIA just came out with something. I, I saw a YouTube thumbnail that says... 4,400% yeah. faster. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not even a number. I, I, I can't even tell how much faster that is. Well, because
0: right? because of the the amount of hardware that comes out and and the, the new software features that come out, do you get a sense that maybe there's some, some IT people out there or people that have to make these decisions about an AI project that they go, oh, there's way too much, I should just wait? Uh, or is, is that not the case? Like they're, they're getting pressure from a board saying, where's this AI project you promised me? Um, and, th- and then
1: they're I jumping the, in too early. I, I think the board is winning in this particular case. I, th- okay. I think people are saying, "No, no, things are moving too quickly. I want to be careful." <laughs> but I think the boards who are pressuring companies to to move faster, I think they're right because if you haven't done any Gen AI AI work at all, you're gonna have, you're gonna be miles away when it, the clarity does arrive. And then the other thing that we that we didn't talk about yet. Um, lots of these are proofs of concept with small data sets. To do this for real, you need to run this on real production data. Mm-hmm. You need to get your data house in order so that you can even access that that data that's often locked up in kind of disparate systems. There's tons of red tape. It's difficult to get hold of that data to even run uh, these systems for real. Because if you've got you know garbage in, garbage out is the is the problem. And so. I would argue that people need to be investing in their data landscape as a whole right now, regardless of how fast they think they want to move with AI.
0: So Gen AI might might be the best thing for data scientists even more than data science. Like all the hype that was around the data scientists from a few years ago.
2: I I just got done teaching my data science class. What are you talking about? (laughs) But I mean, but this is is the thing, right? Like, I mean, I, I think Mike hit on a really important point here. Like all of these things, right? Like this stuff is built on data. And if you don't have access, like... All of machine learning, all of AI to some extent, not all of AI, but all of especially machine learning is, is premised on the fact that like data about the past can predict the future. And if you don't have the data about the past, yep. then there's no future to predict. And if the beta you have from the past isn't even related to the future, then you're never going to predict anything, right? Like that's the entire sort of fundamental mindset that, that that stuff works from. And so I think Mike's point is really, really good in that like if you're... If you want, you're not going to get magic unless you have the data to produce that magic. Right, And right. I, I've, I lost count of the number of times when I was still doing consulting. I lost count of the number of times that I would walk into these places. And they're like, we want to predict X. I'm like, well, what data do you have on X? And they like have nothing. And you're like, okay, well, <laughs> this isn't going to go anywhere. Yeah. Um. And, and the thing with these LLMs, the, the part that's great is like, it's this, these huge, you know, like we're using the internet as the data set because we're just looking at how words map to each other. And so we, you know, that's the scale that we're at. Yeah. Is, is that's how much data. You
0: well, that's another, another question that, that I want to ask about data is uh, you're starting to see companies that are pushing back on giving away their text and data for free. So a lot of these LLMs were basically scraping the internet early on before we knew what it was going on. But now you've got Twitter... Uh, or whatever they're called these days. Uh, Reddit, they're pulling back so that you can't grab any of these, these Reddit forums. Uh, media companies like New the York Wall, Street, Times. Wall Street Journal, New York Times, they're like, no, 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 you can't have our stuff. Or they're saying that now the, the, I think they're just waiting for a licensing agreement. So like, yes, you can use our stuff for right. the low, low price of $40 a month or whatever. But um, if this data is out
2: here wikipedia is out here running the internet and still not making money right i know (laughs) i know i
0: still get the pop-up menu that says please give us five (laughs) dollars which then i x out anyway um i'm a bad person um if this data pool dries up does this mean that like that's it like forget it game over or is it is it just a small blip nick
2: um I think I I actually just wrote a piece about this for uh, (laughs) MIT Sloan. It was about the data and 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 sort of the the ways that it works. I think this. I think you're you're seeing very interesting bits of the use case here, right? So like having access to say New York Times headlines and like Wall Street Journal headlines and like Twitter data. Sorry, Twitter or threads or whatever. Twitter um, threads actually that lets these things. Yeah, that lets these things be, you know, up to date, right? So when you ask who the president is, you know, it knows who the president is. And so these these models to, to answer kind of those trivia question type queries, that's what, it, you know, it needs that, right? It needs to know, it needs to have a current factual basis um, of some variety. Um, but it doesn't need that to like help, you know, fix the grammar in your document, right? Because there's enough good sort of just examples of english on the internet. Now if we only had access to like shakespeare or something maybe things get a little weird, but in general it has access to enough, you know, high quality just words to to kind of work there. And so that's where i think you see the media companies and especially um you know you know meta having threads like they might be the only ones that have access to the real time data now you know um so don't i wouldn't count them out for that sort of thing um but the you know that, that's and i think you're right i think it's a licensing thing it's like new york times is out here saying hey we spend a lot of money to make sure things are current to provide good content yeah. and you should pay us for it
0: yeah mike so, any any thoughts on the da- the data thing
1: i mean i th- i think nick hit the nail on the head it's the latest in sort of Licensing commercial manoeuvres. Um, I'm sitting here in Canada, and we had uh, Bill C18 that passed recently. Now is <clears throat> intended to uh, fairly reimburse content producers for the content that they create that surfaced through platforms like uh, Facebook uh, and Instagram. <clears throat> and what actually happened? Was, uh, Facebook and, and, and all the other platforms switched off the ability to post Canadian content through their platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only said we're not going to pay, uh, Canadian companies for their content, they actually ended up slightly extorting them to use, uh, paid posts to get to their original audience, um, that they were trying to get to. So this has generated a huge <clears throat> kerfuffle here in Canada. And I think the whole, you know, I think this is upending, again, business models on the internet. So, like, you know, the internet started out and it was free and then the nerds had gifted it to everybody and everybody was happy. And then somebody figured out that you could do transactions and somebody else figured out that you could show ads. And then the entire thing became this kind of ad revenue-supported model. Now, today, we have the attention economy where... You know, people are scrolling on their phone and they don't realize this, but their brain is plugged into a supercomputer that is trying to predict how can I keep this person scrolling on my phone? Um, you know, and, and, and we see all the negative outcomes from that as, as humanity. Um, I think this is just the next phase of that, which is that when AI can, in theory, steal anything, rip anything off, clone anything, Everybody needs to be much more careful about what is happening to the data, the the content that they are investing in producing. So yep. I don't know where it's going to end up. I, you know, I am, uh, I'm not looking forward to the day where an AI that I'm using stops actually giving me a, a legitimate answer and embeds an advert in whatever it's telling me. Uh, because that's the way that they end up monetizing these things. Yeah, uh, I I wouldn't be surprised to see that.
0: It'll be like I'll type in something like, uh, "What temperature should I bake my chicken at?" And it'll be like, "Well, Keith, I'll tell you, but first you have to watch this 30 second ad from AT and T, or something like that." <laughs> I mean, it's already it's already like that with YouTube, and and most of the videos I watch now are all attached with with advertising. But we love YouTube because we're on this this platform as well. We <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got it. So, in terms of um, scariness, however, uh, I was I was I was wondering if you guys, if we've reached that point of, quote unquote, peak scariness, um, are we going to see some stories or abilities of of Gen AI or Chat GPT that go, wow, that is some, you know, that's that's really scary. I, I didn't realize it could do that. Or do you, do we think that humans have done enough damage already with coming up with bad ways to use this, or or, or is another shoe about to drop?
2: I. I've, uh, you know, we, we just working on this book and, you know, it's one of these things. I think, I think trying to predict all the ways that humans are going to use tools to do scary <laughs> things is kind of an impossible task. True. Um, and so that's the kind of the attitude I have about it is like, there's always going to be another scary thing. And I don't think, I think, I think waiting for peak scary is maybe you know, you're going to be waiting a long time because uh, that's what it is, right? Like that's kind of the, the cool and the crazy dangerous part about doing AI and like building these things. It's like we, we're kind of making tools and I'm not sort of an instrumentalist in saying that tools don't have value but like, you know, inherent value but uh, the 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 idea is like you, you, you kind of generate these tools and then people are going to use them in ways that you thought of in ways that you never thought of because people are very smart and creative um, and they're going to figure out ways to do things they want to do and so that's where I think some of the peak scary can really come in, you know, and now that you've given folks these tools that are able to, um, you know, automatically convert text to speech. Well, you could help people who are blind, but you could also uh, use this to robocall thousands of people and try to extort phone numbers, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's 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 a lot of creative ways that that I think I, I you know I, I I don't think we've hit peak scary, but that doesn't mean that we should be worried about it. I yeah, think, I'm not trying to be like alarmed.
0: Well, would would peak scary help? Drive us towards that trough of disillusionment if if more and more stories keep coming out about you know people doing awful things and then someone might go oh god do, we, do I really have to deal with this this AI let's just not use it Mike you got a thought I mean, on that I, I, or I, Nick yeah either one go ahead,
2: Mike. no i was just gonna say I was just gonna jump in quickly to give back to Mike it's like I think you know we you know peak scary. It's lots of people die in car accidents still, right? Like, and so, like, it's, it's depends, it's this relationship between how useful is it and yeah. how much damage could it cause, okay. right? And that's, I think, the balance that that we're always kind of wrestling with as a society.
1: And I think scary is, is difficult because it's so personal for people. Like, a lot of folks, um, you know, they, they rate the risk of something based on how close it has been to them and, and, and their lives. So if, you know, if you're, if, if for example somebody in your in your family unfortunately died of cancer you are probably going to you know rate cancer as much uh, much bigger risks yeah. because of your your personal connection to that um so we uh, we did some consumer research over the last few weeks um we haven't actually published it yet but one of the stats uh in there is that something like 75% of americans are extremely concerned about ai generated misinformation in the forthcoming us election mm-hmm. um and i think that's that's a phenomenal stat that that many people are worried about it, but then there's a question about whether that actually matters because you know politics is so polarizing these days that people accept things that reinforce their existing worldview and they reject things that that challenge their worldview regardless of sort of the the truth or honesty behind those things. But so personally. Um, you know, if if I'm looking from the sidelines and and, and eating popcorn, I would imagine the U.S. election is going to be a real uh, battleground for scary AI stuff that that might go on. And I also think that the headline things, people, you know, attention grabbing stuff like you know voice voice cloning and and, and things like that. That's one thing. If you're really clever and you're a really bad actor, you're going to do much more subtle stuff than that. And you're going to do those subtle things at scale. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that I would worry about um, in terms of kind of. Peak AI scariness uh, One thing, I called my bank the other day, and they they have this disc- disclaimer at the beginning of the, the the IVR thing that says we may use your voice to authenticate you, right? <laughs> and I'm now looking for the option to opt out of that because yeah. I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. I know that's broken already. Right? right why? Why are you still? Because
0: we could just take this video and the uh, previous video that you did with us, and then and then I can become Mike. <laughs> that's that's part of my plan for evil domination. Um, <laughs> Well, speaking of
1: that, Keith, actually, I mean, one of the, one of the questions, right? I keep asking for a checkbox in my email, um, that can train an AI to respond to emails as though it were me rather than using sort of a generic voice. And that's, that's coming, right? But here's the question. If I've worked, I've worked for, um, for works for, for more than 20 years now, Mm -hmm. right? Let's say we train a bot on all of the, um, video calls I've ever done, all of the emails I've ever sent, and we end up with, you know, robot mic, right? And then I, move on to a different company. Yep. Who owns Robot Mike at yep. that point? Mm-hmm. I I think I think my current company owns Robot Mike, but it's trained on all the stuff that I that I've already done. At what point will we start as as people who work in in, in whatever jobs we do, uh you know, you, you got the Screen Actors Guild um and the writers are all on strike yep. still. Yep. It's been going on for months um because of the AI threat to jobs. I think so, some of that kind of scary, I think, is going to continue to sort of dawn on people, the ability to do that stuff.
0: Mike, you're doing a great job of promoting previous episodes of, of Today in Tech that you that we've done, <laughs> because we just did one on the AI avatars and w- whether regular employees will be able to own their digital likeness. Uh, but then we also did one about deep fakes in the 2024 election and whether or not we're going to be able to stop any of this stuff. <laughs> um, so so again, if, if you're interested in this, you like just keep watching and, and subscribing to, to Today in Tech. Um, those are, those are some great things. Um, Nick, did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about on, on the, um, uh, on this peak scariness. I think I think you, you've you've sort well. Of
2: I mean, it's it's. Uh, I was I was gonna say, uh, uh digital Mic, digital Nick is. They're making me actively build digital Nick because as we sort of deliver more uh, educational content online, they've got all my videos and things like that. You know, so that's a, you know, it's it, it touches a lot of um, at least on the teaching function of my job. You know, it touches a lot of the things that we do. And um, who owns that data that you generate at work? I'm, it's usually your work. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> Sorry, <Yeah. laughs> we all we all signed that contract a long time ago. Um, but yeah, it's it is a little scary. In
0: I, I think all the videos I've done w- w- are still owned by the the company, but I don't have anything yet that says well the, the, they're going to be able to create a, an AI version of me yet. Um, I, I, I suppose that we would have to rewrite employee contracts for a lot of this stuff. Um, <laughs> all right, so I think we've we've touched on this, but I want to you know uh, reset the bar a little bit instead of maybe this trough of disillusionment, is it possible that we could see pockets of success and pockets of failure where it, it it's not just a deep dive, but it's like, okay, here, but in, but in this case, it's here. Um, so we go down and up at the same time versus maybe something where there's not going to be a blanket. Oh, AI, everything AI is awful. Like, do you see that evolving?
1: Mike? So I think we're going to see some... Really awesome headlines about some really positive things that AI can do. Um, so recently in the news, uh, Microsoft and the company called Page, um, announced that they're doing AI for cancer detection via kind of, uh, images, image recognition. Yep. Uh, they've got about 4 million images and they're, they're going to be doing cancer detection on top of that. Um, I firmly believe that efforts like that are going to succeed. I think we're going to see a lot of stuff in, um, medicine where ai is really genuinely uh producing better outcomes for patients and is genuinely useful for for to humanity um but a lot of those are going to require significant funding expert researchers exactly all the right people to to be to be doing them i've got a lot of faith that that, that can happen um i think some of the uh smaller efforts where people just kind of go off and throw a bunch of data around, I think those are going to be um, a waste of time or not produce the 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 right outcomes. I think, I think there is a lot, and Nick would concur on this, I think there's a lot of expertise really required here. It's not as easy as everybody makes out. Um, <clears throat> so I think we're going to see those useful use cases. I also think um, to be fair, humans are incredibly good at getting used to what computers can do. So uh, okay. all of the stuff that we were seeing 3 months ago where chat gpt could um you know summarize things expound upon things you know uh, write, you know give me my company annual report in the style of the hamilton musical mm-hmm. um you know those kinds of things that are quite remarkable uh, they are going to become a uh, kind of old hat uh, the the problem with ai is Actually, the definition of AI is stuff that computers can't do yet. And so as soon as we, we figure out how to get them to do something, we move the goalposts. It's very, it must be very frustrating, Nick, being a, being an <laughs> AI researcher, um, because of that. Mike, you got my,
2: I got my my notes that was like, you stole my joke, like one, you know, right before I got to, it. <laughs> but this is, you know, this is, it's, it's very true. Right. And, and I think, uh, you know, Chris pick, or Keith picking up on the, the overall thing is that, you know, we, we've seen a lot of successes of AI. We've already, like I mentioned, like the, the T in chat GPT is the thing that makes your phone text prediction and your spell correction work really well. Like when it got, it's now it's gotten a lot better over the last 10 years, but we've also gotten really used to it. Um, and you know, I think it's we're going to continue to see that, right? We're going to continue to see splashy, like we're going to use AI to do insert questionable thing here that we probably shouldn't really be doing. Um, and then it's not going to work, right? And then, and but you're going to see in instances where there's the right data and there's the right expertise. And I think, I think Mike's right. I think medical is one of these big ones, right? Since, since we've moved into more of a electronic health record space, there's more data there. There's more ability to like track patients and things like that. Like we, I've worked with a few folks here around at the at the med school and that's that's really what's what it's all about is like the places where you've got really volume you know massive volumes of data. Yeah. And by massive volumes I mean internet scale internet scale data sets and you have the expertise to work with those. I think you're going to see advances there um and, and then again, like Mike said, we're going to just get, you know, we're just going to normalize all this stuff, right? Like, so the, uh, co-pilot, you know, the, the code, the code completion and code assist tools from, from Microsoft and, and things like that. They do the first job I had out of college, right? Like when I just, I basically translated Fortran into, into Python, uh, <laughs> you know, and like that job doesn't exist anymore because, but like that's just the thing. Like we don't even hire people for that job anymore because it's just like, yeah, sure. Like it'll just, you know, it just does it, right? So we just get incredibly used to the, how quickly these things are coming. And then, you know, it's not AI anymore. It's just like it's just what the computer does.
0: Yeah, I I think from the media side of things, um, that it's all well and good that that these deeper projects are going to be developed, but that doesn't make as much headlines. I you know, bad news sells a lot more than than good news. And as much as I'd love to see right. all of these, you know, c- you know, cancer detection and, and diagnosis uh, through AI, those are you're gonna see some stories about that, but it's not gonna be as exciting as, you know, someone someone doing something really stupid with AI, unfortunately. And but that's, yeah, that's the, the media landscape. But yeah, yeah,
2: but one of these successes, I mean, like, like, a, like a a good, like sort of example that I that I was thinking about the other day is, you know, because um, I got my parents new car and it like, it, you know, it does the parallel parking on its own, right? Or it like pulls into the tight spaces on its own, which is the self which is a self driving car. But now we're just like, oh, it's, oh, it's just pulling into the parking space. By itself. <laughs> like, I, I only get out of the car and push a button and then it goes on its own, right? Like, that's yeah, fine. I drive a 2000 three Honda element. Like it doesn't do that. Like, you know, come on. Like the, you know, we were just like, Oh, this is fine. And no self-driving cars are never coming except for it does this parallel parking thing that nobody likes to do anyway.
0: So the most exciting thing (laughs) about my, my latest uh, vehicle that I bought was that I could, uh, I had a USB charging port for my phone and I was really excited (laughs) about that, but I'm way behind on, I'm like two or three levels of, of behind on cars. But speaking of, uh, but speaking of cars, uh, you know, there's a parallel between all of the money that was thrown at self-driving cars and maybe it was because the bar that they set was that it's the jetsons its future it's you're going to step in a car it's going to drive you wherever you want and it's never going to get into an accident it's never going to run through a, a concrete uh you know that's been poured. That was one of the stories that came out. Like one of the cars drove through a police line, I think, you know, you started seeing some of these. So there was disillusionment there. And what did companies do? It's like, well, we've thrown all this money at it. Here's another big giant bag of money that we're going to throw at it. Could you see that happening in the AI space too, where it's like, we've already invested all this money. We've got to get some kind of return on it. Or does it become more like NFT blockchain, those types of technologies?
1: Mike. So, I, I think uh, there is a there there for AI. I think we've already proven that. I mean, one of the things I really love, and, and Nick mentioned this earlier, the, the interest in Gen AI has refreshed everybody's interest in AI in general, um, <laughs> and it is a broad topic. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's there's lots going on there. Um, <clears throat> part of the thing to remember here is um, self driving cars is about the most difficult problem we could possibly have picked. The bar for Perfection is extremely high there. If anything goes wrong, there's lots of eyes on it. Whereas the bar for AI to be useful, you know, if you've got something where you still have human in the loop, you, you know, you've still got somebody who's looking at the outputs from that thing, and that person becomes, you know, I don't know if if you even just save somebody ten minutes a day as an employee, that's actually worth a ton of, of value when you when when you scale that out. Yeah. So actually, AI doesn't have to be as as shatteringly successful as self driving would be and i think you know if you if you look at the amount of money in self driving and the in the amount of industry that that would change you know i, I it's crazy right like if everything was self drive we'd only need like 5% of the cars um all the repair shops would go out of business insurance companies would completely change mm-hmm. like i mean it, it it i it's it's difficult to state how big a deal self drive would be, and I think that's that, that's why it's taking a long time to get there. Whereas saving me, Mike, you know, half an hour a day because it's helping me organize my emails yeah. better, or do some productivity thing, or respond to customers faster, or create a sales proposal, or what you know, whatever stuff it's doing. If the AI goes wrong in that case, well, you've still got Mike here, and still. Probably qualified to do the job, you know, um, and the the bar for, for, for making it useful is is a lot lower.
0: Yeah, yeah, Nick, have we lowered the bar on on AI expectations, or does it does, is it still set pretty high?
2: I don't. I, I mean, I, I it's one of those things. I don't think it's ever going to go down, right? Because it's uh it's it's like asking if the sci fi expectations are ever going to come down. Because I think we've we've always <laughs> we're always just going to manage to come up with like, well, what if it did this, right? Well, what if it did that, and and no matter how cool it is in the moment. And like, if you can imagine, like going back and showing your grandfather, you know, when he was your age, the same thing, it'd be like, That's, how does the plane stay in the air? I don't understand. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, these things, you know, uh, I think the bar is always going to stay high. Um, but I think it's important, you know, to, to I think it's cool to keep the bar high. Like we should have expectations of our self-driving cars that are super high. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm with, I'm with Mike. I look forward to the day when they like we get rid of all the parking lots because all of the cars drive themselves and then like we have more parks because there's no more parking lots um you know and those are those are amazing like animating goals right and this is the whole idea behind i think last time i was on uh keith we were talking about the turing test and the singularity right like there's i think setting the bar high is what animates a lot of what we try to do like we want to try to get it to do all of these amazing things and you know we're probably not going to get there, but like as long as we make some like good progress, you know it's it's good. You know that's it's it's, it's I think it, it helps to it helps keep people excited about it. As long as we don't At completely des-
0: yeah, as long as we don't completely destroy the planet, we'll still be okay, right? And that's fair.
1: <laughs> well, and I think that the question of how far we can get is is still a really open one. Uh, I I talked to a lot of people in the industry, including. Uh, somebody who I know well, a major chip manufacturer, and he was basically scared saying that the, there is no limit to how smart you can make these things if you throw more data and more compute at them to do the training. And his contention was the world hasn't really figured that out yet. And when we do the, the organizations and the companies that figure out, I can make really, really smart AI here. If I, if I build it in this way and, and get it to solve these problems. Those who figure that out fastest are going to win in this next kind of, you know, AI generational step that we're all taking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that disillusionment is inevitable just because that's the way that humans act? The, 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 you know we hype something and then we we tear it down and there's always going to be disillusionment whether it's it's you know a technology like AI versus NFT blockchain something else some of these other some of these other technologies is it just inevitable and we just sort of recover faster then and that's how we get away from that little dip Nick you want to start
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a, I, I think the dip always kind of come in, but that's just, you know, we always, I think we always want to expect more things, you know, than than we're going to get. Um, but it's important to realize that, like, just because there's a little, I mean, at least as a, as a research side, as is, you know, the side of it, it's like these just because it doesn't deliver right now doesn't mean it's never going to deliver right mm-hmm. so if you go back and look at something like i mean not even in tech but you look at like mrna vaccines right which is a thing that they started doing research on in the 70s they're like hey like one day this is going to like change things it's going to make it, everything awesome and then it did it just it took a long time right yeah. so um i th- i think it's i think we we get excited about possibilities and then when we start to realize time scales like maybe you know that's where that disillusionment kind of comes from um at least i think as a, as a person um i think as a business i think these are slightly different questions um about what can i realize um but at least as a person like you hear about something cool like you want it now like you don't want to wait
0: yeah <laughs> like i'm still waiting for my 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 time machine and my flying car or a time machine that's also a flying car I still haven't gotten there it. you go yeah <laughs> mike uh, mike any thoughts on that or are we gonna sort of see a like a almost like a curve like up and down up and down up and down
1: I think the hype is natural right? I think if you look at the way uh industry and media are structured. Yep. Uh you know, industry comes out with some new thing, uh media likes to report on it cuz you know, cool stuff is is good for eyeballs. Um if you look at companies, the big cloud platforms, they have invested billions in the hardware to run this stuff and They need to make sure that we are all as excited about running AI as they are about owning the hardware to run AI. So there's a whole bunch of folks who, who are kind of creating this hype cycle right now. And, you know, that's, that's just the way of things. I think there's always going to be a a hype cycle with, with the pace at which information moves now that we have the internet, social media, all that other stuff. I think. Uh, you know, hype cycles are inevitable, and we're just in one for for AI right now. okay, um, I do think there are great things coming out of it though uh, with, yep. as we've discussed
0: well i guess I guess at this point, this is what I want to ask each of you guys are you uh, still excited about AI or are have you been disillusioned at all? um even if it's up and down that's okay if you've if you have had some disillusionment um, like where where are you still at? and has it hasn't changed since since you know last year? Nick, we'll start with you.
2: I, I think for, I'm, I'm one of these weird guys. I went to, you know, I took my first AI class in like, in college in like 2004, which was like the nadir of computer science enrollment after the tech bust, after yeah. the 2000s tech bubble burst. My AI class had five people in it. <laughs> um, that class now has 500 people in it, right? Wow, so okay. um So, you know, I've always been a big believer in this. One of the one of the things that, like, one of the most exciting parts of of one of my former jobs, I worked at IBM. I got to sit with some of the folks who worked on Deep Blue, which was the chess playing computer that beat the beat Gary Kasparov in chess, which was yeah. one of these amazing moments for AI, right? Like, I got to work with the folks that you know worked on Watson and things like that. Like, it's you know, I've always been, I've never been, I haven't been that disillusioned yet because I keep staying in this, I keep staying in this field, I keep working and I keep doing research here because there's always so much more exciting uh, things to do and and you know. Not everything you do is going to work out, but a lot of it does, and a lot of it's really, I think, changed the way that we that we do things, um, that we live our lives, and do business, and everything. So I, I've I haven't hit my disillusionment yet, but I'm a pretty optimistic guy. Okay, in general,
1: Mike, so. <laughs> where wh- where are you, Mike? I'm I'm also a pretty optimistic guy around um, AI, especially, and I think that although there w- there will be some things that don't work out, there's plenty more momentum, which is showing us this stuff is still really exciting. There's some really good outcomes that you can get. I think it's important for people to keep their expectations in check just a little bit. Remember that when you see something uh, from somebody who's trying to sell you a thing that it's marketing, there's glossy videos around everything and the actuality of of, of using these products is not always gonna, gonna live up to the hype. The question is, is it useful? Is it worth it? I think so. I
0: think yes. All right. I'm going to tell you where I am at this point. I, I, I track it to uh, uh, the, the analogy of a relationship. Um, with my marriage, you get romance and then you get some disillusionment and then you either go back to romance or eventually it, it, it turns into joy and so it's you know eventually it, it's almost like there's a there's a pattern for for marriage as well um, so I, I have been disillusioned but I keep looking for that next thing too I'm generally an optimist so I think uh, you will have some I just want to be the guy that says hey look I predicted the disillusionment um, and if that happens then I'll, then I'll be happy um, uh, one final final question I don't know if you saw this did you see the Republican debate where Chris Christie uh, accused uh, Vivek of of being like ChatGPT, I don't know. Did you guys see that at all? I saw the clip. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw the clip too. I didn't. I didn't watch the whole debate. Mike, did you see it? I didn't see the clip. Okay, no. I'm wondering if 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 this is someone like so he accused uh, his opponent of being robotic like, and he and he basically threw out ChatGPT. And I'm wondering if that's going to be like the straw that breaks this disillusionment back of like ugh... Oh, you know politicians are now are are now like getting some shots in or it's like i'm getting burned by chris christie on this technology if i'm <laughs> if i'm chat gpt um i or maybe, was he
2: taking uh, adver- advertising money for saying chat gpt instead of just hey somebody who sounds like a robot right like i mean right you, i mean they, they, there's been previous ones that they just call them a robot now we have like the robot has a name
0: well yeah <laughs> it, yeah you can't just call someone a robot anymore now you have to sound cool and be like oh i'm with it i know what chat gpt is <laughs> maybe that's what maybe that's all it was um but i'm hoping that it doesn't become so mainstream that like then people can start getting digs on it without understanding what what it's all about uh, all right uh, great conversation guys i i really uh want to thank you guys for for joining us on the show today um nick i am at some point i'm having you back because uh i'm you know you're going to get disillusioned at some point point. <laughs> <laughs> one day one, one day. day or or prove to me that you're you're not uh you know ai nick yet so that, that's, that, 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 that'll come once you get that, that project. One, that part's done.
2: getting harder and harder.
0: And, and Mike, I'll have you on whenever you guys want to be on. So, so thanks for, for joining us on the show.
1: Love to, Keith. Thanks.
0: All right. That's all the time we have for today's episode. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and add any thoughts you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.